You're listening to 91.7 FM, WSUW, in Whitewater, Wisconsin. You're listening to Rashkin Report. You're listening to WSUW 91.7 FM, The Edge in Whitewater, Wisconsin. This is Rashkin Report, and I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin. I'm excited to welcome back to the program political analyst um, and PhD candidate at Columbia University, Maria Snigavaya, because uh, the subject, um, it's its kind of funny because the, the this program I always felt was a little bit esoteric in a sense that it was probably a very niche product appealing to very small uh, number of interested uh, people which I was okay with. Uh, but all of a sudden, it seems that uh, we have Mr. Trump, who is, is dancing onto the scene and demanding attention, and uh, uh, together with Mr. Putin, which is an unlikely pair. And to discuss this, uh, Maria, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much for the invitation again, Yuri. Pleasure. Absolutely. So if, um, well, let's uh, kind of summarize what we know so far. Uh, we know that uh, Mr. Trump and Mr. Putin are showing signs of uh, affection for each other and for each other's policies. Uh, what should we read into this? Do you feel are they friends? Are they allies? Are they unwitting bedfellows? What, you know, what, what's going on there? Mm-hmm. So, first of all, I should uh, personally thank uh, Mr. Trump and Mr. Putin from the political analyst on Russia, uh, to whom these two uh, politicians provide uh, an endless, uh, you know, stream of work and public interest. Because definitely Mr. Trump and Mr. Putin uh, have increased their uh, interest in the topic of Russia substantively over the last several years uh, for their mutual uh, policies and the, and, the, uh, and the comments. So it is true that uh, recently the accusation or uh, theories about potential links between uh, Mr. Uh, Trump and Vladimir Putin of Russia have been abandoned. So first of all, it's important, I think, for us to summarize what were the reasons uh, for uh, these um, uh, theories. Uh, the most important uh, accusation came uh, following the attack against the DNC uh, the TNC website when hackers uh, were able to uh, get access to a lot of confidential information, including the internal emails exchange within the DNC. Um, and those hackers by the FBI, um, this is, I think, that by now is already official, uh, have been linked uh, to the uh, to Russia. Has this been? Do you, mm-hmm. do you consider the admissions or what we know now to be officially linked? Consider the first well, uh, well, you know, g- given the high level of the uh, speakers who confirmed this information, including, including FBI and even President Obama himself, who actually quite is usually quite cautious on making uh, bold statements like that, uh, has confirmed that. I think the evidence is pretty um, uh, in, is uh, pretty. So they have, they they have evidence really really uh, supports that claim. Uh, in addition, I also read uh, the um, the crowd strike which is the um, internet-based, um, the internet IT specialist website where they actually analyzed 
the available evidence. The DNC actually specifically hired the uh, CrowdStrike to investigate the issue, and they confirmed through their own tools that uh, the links lead specifically to those um, alleged Russia hack hackers, the Cozy Beer and the Fancy Beer. Uh, there's um, a bear, the, the cozy bear and, my, and the fancy bear. And so, um, at least based on what we have now, the evidence is quite good. Well, let's put it this way. Mm -hmm. And uh, according to Stephen Cobera, I believe that cozy bear is Vladimir Putin <laughs> and fancy bear is uh, Donald Trump. Um, so, are they working together on purpose, or do you feel that this is just they have common interests? Yeah, so specifically, I emphasize the DNC scandal and uh, other, actually, mostly uh, verbal statements by uh, Donald Trump has been used by some analysts and some brilliant analysts, such as Anne Applebaum, for example, to link him to President Putin. We also know that he has hired uh, Paul Manafort, the ex-Yanukovych, uh, uh, Yanukovych, uh, the president of Ukraine political consultant, which is also kind of suspicious and in general has uh, Trump has traveled to Russia quite a lot in an attempt to establish certain kind of business links uh, with the with the Russian officials with the Russian president and with the business right so Yet, it's not like he's never been to Russia uh, this is true. Yet right. none of this available information, none of none of this is quite, you know, suggestive. It's not enough for us to assume that he's still linked to Russians uh, one way or another. In, in actually, in fact, uh, Julia Yoffe had an op-ed on foreign policy last week, where she actually says, I think, correctly that uh, Trump's didn't end up building any kind of, you know, big real estate, developing any kind of big real estate project in Russia after all. So it would be more, so these kind of accusations would have better ground if there was certain kind of factual evidence in support of them. So far, these so, are the, just so there are no buildings in Moscow that have Trump name on them. Uh, they, there are no such so buildings. There are no big real estate projects that we know of. And uh, some people say that this is the reason why uh, Trump does not disclose his tax uh, information, because he might be somehow linked to the, um, uh, to, to, again, to the, Russian, to the Russian state. But yet again, before we, before we have this evidence, there is no available information to confirm the direct links. Nonetheless, all this doesn't mean that Russia does not act um in support of Trump in other indirect ways. Uh, Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin in general is known to support the candidates in the political parties all over the developed world, all over Europe, that are uh, whose, uh, uh, whose political platforms align well with Donald Trump. And the reasoning for this is usually the fact that the so-called far-right uh, parties and candidates, and Donald Trump is definitely one of these candidates, can be classified in one of these uh, candidates based on his nationalist um, platform. Um, these candidates are more um, are better for, for Putin from the geopolitical perspective. Uh, the Kremlin and Russian general, as we know now, following the annexation of Crimea and the war in U Ukraine, is not on good terms with the rest of the developed world, and especially with the mainstream uh, politicians in the world. He, Putin can hardly, had, have, um, can hardly manage an acceptance nowadays to a big international conference. He's not welcome anymore. So for him, for him the way to... 
to basically to re-manage to regain his political leverage and his weight in the international affairs is to try to split this unity within the mainstream politicians in the world. And in order to do that, he attempts to support the candidates that are less conventional, that do not support the mainstream policies of the um, uh, of the um, of the big uh, Western parties, and including sanctions against Russia. So it makes perfect sense for him to support these candidates, and we see this a lot. This is, for example, Hungarian Yabik Party, uh, Marie Le Pen's French Front National, the bunch of other extreme uh, far-right parties and political candidates all over Europe. And I think that Trump fits well that, uh, you know, that dynamics. Maria, I think you've hit on, on several things that I'd like to pick up on. Um, I think, uh, first of all, um, I completely agree with uh, with your description of the situation as far as Putin's approach uh, to sponsoring extremists all over the world with a you know, purpose of destabilizing the, the situation. And so, as I think was mentioned on another program, uh, it, to force all of these Western governments to start dealing with their own problems instead of dealing with Russia. And, yeah. um, and that's where I think that, uh, the concept of sanctions that you mentioned in passing, I think is probably very important to Russia, at least as a reason to try to inflict damage back on the United States, because this is, if, if you support sanctions against Russia, then I guess it almost makes it okay for Russia to try to attack you, uh, because this is just tit for tat. Well, at least that's one of the justifications that the Kremlin uses, right? Do you think, is there, uh, is there a sincere justification that they actually perceive themselves or all of this is just PR? So, by the way, by the damage uh, against the United States, do you mean Trump himself? I <laughs> 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 was just, just a little question. Yeah, but a small question. So, you know, it's a little bit hard to understand what the Kremlin thinks because there is um, an interesting dichotomy there. On one hand, this the Kremlin politicians and Putin himself uh, is quite shrewd and smart and cynical. On the other hand, by staying in, uh, in power so for so long, they often manage to persuade themselves in something that didn't originally believe was true, but the longer they stay in power, the more they tend to basically capture themselves in this mindset of uh, this captured fortress uh, or of the rest of the world being against them. So from this perspective, even if uh, Russia, for example, uh, uh, let, let, me, uh, let me frame it this way. Initially, when uh, the Crimea annexation started, Russia probably did not envision the scope of the damage that will be inflicted by the joint action uh, among the Western leaders. It probably did not predict the um, degree of um, collaboration that the West um, uh, will achieve against Russia. So clearly Russia, initially Putin probably did not realize the extent uh, of the damage that the Crimean annexation will bring. Um, to his, uh, by the way, to his credit, uh, it wouldn't have probably, the sanctions, the contemporary Western sanctions wouldn't have probably taken place if it wasn't for the downed Malaysian Boeing, as we rem remember that happened in July 2014. Now, of course, as the time passed and as he realized that he underestimated uh, the degree of the coherent action uh, by the Western uh, allies against Russia. Of course, uh, in response, the Kremlin uh, basically uh, developed or uh, intensified this thinking that the rest of the world is against Russia, right? We know very well that the very harsh action against 
Ukraine was partly taken as a response to the democratic protests in Ukraine in 2013, which in 2014, which led to the um, uh, removal of President Yanukovych, of the pro-Kremlin President Yanukovych. Putin, we know, also perceives that this kind of democratic revolutions as a certain kind of um, of a Western, Western against hostile action against Russia. Basically, the West funds these democratic revolutions. They're not natural. It's done on purpose, basically, to remove pro Putin's presidents and to put another one pro American, such as, for example, right. even though pro Putin also usually is synonymous with a dictator. Absolutely. Somehow it always a dictator, too. This is absolutely true. Um, Let me ask you this, Maria. What is, uh, you know, so so Russia has a policy uh, almost officially of supporting extremists. What has their track record been? It's a little bit hard to estimate since um, there is uh, the popularity of these extremists. Uh, the far right in the West is a function of both um, the domestic and the external um, causes, right? And uh, to, at least based on my understanding of the, of the situation, and I specifically studied the um, Visegrad group, uh, the four countries in the Eastern Europe, the Czech Republic, Poland, Hungary, and Slovakia, with respect to this uh, recent rise of the uh, far right. The the largest extent of the popularity of this party is explained by the d- domestic on, rather than the international reasons. So even if, for example, if we take Hungary, the Kremlin has been and we have proven links, uh, funding and supporting Yabik for at least the last uh, seven years. Uh, nonetheless, uh, it alone, the funding alone, and certain kind of, you know, so-called active measures, such as launching pro-Yabik websites, uh, basically active PR of Yabik in Hungary, etc., etc., these measures alone wouldn't be sufficient if there wasn't certain hidden uh, request for certain for this kind of rhetorics, for this kind of political platform within the Hungarian society <laughs> itself. This, is, this is, sounds like exactly the conversation that uh, people have about whether you know State Department and uh, American government is to blame for uh, the coup and the, the the revolution in Ukraine, and of course the comeback is well, if people weren't happy with Yanukovych, you know, if they were happy with Yanukovych to begin with, no amount of state money, uh, State Department money could have, yeah. you know, flipped that revolution. Exactly. So it kind of works both ways. Exactly. That's my persuasion. I think that the politics in general is a bottom-up process. That's my conviction. But of course, it's ideological. In a way, it's a biased perception of the reality. <laughs> the way. But uh, there, are, there are theorists, there are analysts who would tell you that Jobbik's popularity is largely, in Hungary itself, they will tell you that Jobbik's popularity is largely due to the Kremlin's actions. And uh, this is also something worth considering. At least this uh, help doesn't hurt Jobbik as much as we would like it to, right? And, uh, and doesn't hurt Yabik in the way as it hurts Trump. And that my uh, additional claim uh, against this idea that Trump is certain kind of Putin's uh, spy. We know that Trump is maybe not a particularly smart and sophisticated person, but he should be able to realize that any kind of exposed connections to the Kremlin is literally the end of his political career. 
So from his perspective, it is unlikely that he he uh, completely misunderstood it when he was uh, when he was deciding to run for the president in the United States. I'm pretty certain if any kind of direct links to the Kremlin are exposed at this point, uh, there's absolutely there's going to be a huge huge scandal, and it will be the end. So it is unlikely to imagine at this point, at least, that he doesn't understand that himself. Okay. Um, um, well, in that case, uh, let, let's uh, let's get back to Mr. Trump as as we should, and I will just remind our listeners that you're listening to WSUW ninety one point seven FM in Whitewater, Wisconsin, The Edge. This is Rashkin Report, and I'm your host Yuri Rashkin, and my guest is Maria Snigavaya, political analyst and PhD candidate at Columbia University. Um, Maria, then. What has been Kremlin's reaction to uh, Trump's latest annum- announcements that uh, if we're to follow everything that we've just discussed, we're not done in coordination with Putin? So then what has cre- uh, Kremlin's reaction been to Mr. Trump all of a sudden announcing that, uh, the, you know, Russia is really great and, and maybe Crimea should be Russian? Oh, uh, you know, the Kremlin um, position is not surprised by this annou- announcement. It's not the first time that Mr. Trump makes such welcoming comments with respect to Russia, which, as I mentioned before, is one of the uh, bases for this uh, theory that he might be somehow linked to Russia because he's so amazingly pro-Russian. He's way more pro-Russian than any other candidate in this race, including both Democratic and Republican candidates together. Uh, nonetheless, uh, it is true that uh, this kind of statement was very welcome by uh, the official media in Russia, the Vesti, one of the state-owned uh, one of the state-owned uh, TV channels, uh, basically restated it. This claim, uh, basically saying that Mr. Trump said that Crimea is better off with Russia than with Ukraine. Uh, so basically, slightly intensifying this um, uh, statement that Mr. Trump made, and he's definitely welcome. Uh, and uh, is perceived as a uh, preferred candidate for Russia if you follow the Russian TV channels. I actually spent the last week in uh, Russia actually trying to follow actively the um, uh, narrative of the Russian uh, news on the state-owned TV channels, and in all of them you can see, you can notice inevitably, immediately, the slight bias against Hillary and pro-Trump. So Trump is portrayed as an ironic, smart, yeah, as <laughs> and um, Yarky, bright, right, like bright, bright candidate. Right. While Hillary, you know, is crony, corrupt. They have this DNC scandal. She, she wasn't, she wasn't, she's not a democratic candidate in this sense because they were plotting against Bernie, etc., etc. An interesting thing that I noticed on the on the uh, on the uh, public TV. Uh, broadcasts is that they never mentioned the fact that's widely discussed in the United States right now that Russian secret services may be behind the DNS attacks. Uh, the Russian news, the state-owned news, uh, only mentioned the fact that there is certain kind of Russia-related Russia links behind the DNC hack, but they never, um, but they never uh, mentioned specifically the service secret service engagement in it, which I thought was interesting. All right. So definitely, the candidate. So definitely, just to summarize, Trump is very welcome uh, by the by the Kremlin. They really support him actively, up, as we know. And uh, this recent statement will just re- uh, re- uh, reinforce the same attitude by the Kremlin. But but you feel it was a kind of a pleasant surprise. 
to Kremlin? It's no, I mean, uh, not necessarily a pleasant surprise because Trump has made similar kind of statements before. Right. He, on several occasions, he suggested that Putin is an extra smart, uh, he's smart and he'll try to negotiate with him and that the sanctions may be abolished under his anti-Russian sanctions may be abolished if he's, if he's the president, etc., etc. So that's not something <laughs> completely surprising, but definitely welcome. <clears throat> Putin is pleased, I can assure you. Yeah. Maria, the last area that I wanted to cover and the kind of the one or two questions there is uh, when the when, when a candidate becomes the nominee of the party, they become privy to uh, national security briefings, which is, uh, you know, the, the privilege of being nominee of a major party. Um, so that made me nervous because of, you know, Mr. Yeah. Trump in general. Uh, somewhere I've read that apparently it is up to President Obama how much information is being released. And I guess as long as the information is equally released to both candidates, then there can be a little or a lot. Um, so maybe that's, that's going to be one of the ways. But my general concern is it goes actually beyond Mr. Trump and it goes more to, you know, his advisors such as Mr. Paul uh, Manafort. Um, is there, in your opinion, uh, you know, and this, this is where I'm also kind of counting on our secret service and our, you know, whatever agencies to keep an eye on those people that they don't just go ahead and leak the national security information directly to Russians, um, either not on purpose, like maybe Mr. Trump is doing, or maybe on purpose, like some of his advisors might be, because that might be information that they would be mm -hmm. now privy to. How worried are you being a specialist in this field that there is a national security issue here? Mm -hmm. First of all, on Paul Manafort, I just wanted to mention that his um, uh, links to uh, the Kremlin are a little bit overestimated because it's known that uh, Putin specifically asked, requested Yanukovych to fire Paul Manafort to decrease the so-called, yeah, to diminish the so-called. To his credit. Okay. Uh, to 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 I hope to Mr. Mr. Manafort's credit, right, or, or to Putin's credit. You Both, know? right. <laughs> so to uh, Mr. Manafort's credit, I think this must be mentioned. So it's not very clear whether Manafort is directly how 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 strong this connection to the Kremlin is, mm. and whether it's going through uh, Mr. Manafort or not or not. But in general, you know, given. Haven't analyzed, haven't read uh, what Mr. Trump said previously and constant contradictions and uh, quite provocative claims that he's made on average the very fact that he receives himself, regardless of any kind of links to Russia, a certain kind of information of this very sensitive nature is already a fact, uh, you know, uh, troubling and uh, concerning enough. Uh, now add to that the possibility of certain kind of leaks to Russia. That's definitely something to be really worried about. And I think that's something that explains the recent media hype about the whole Russia-related thing. Uh, now, I do believe, though, that the um, FBI and the CIA and uh, President Obama himself realized the quite unusual precedent that has been created during these elections. And I think, at least I hope, <laughs> that's, I guess that's more or less what we are left with at this point, that certain kind of measures will, will be taken against expo exposing overly sensitive information to this particular candidate. So this is, I think, that's what we can rely upon. So, so you are sounds like well, I'm not. I don't want to say nervous or worried, but but uh, uh, I don't sense uh, any any trust uh, on on your behalf towards 
well, why would we, uh, towards Mr. Trump and his campaign? Um, and so I guess what I'm hearing you say is that you're not aware of any direct links between Trump or his staff to Kremlin, but, um, uh, well, uh, we, we can't discount the possibility. We can discount this possibility, uh, but the available evidence does not necessarily suggest that, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's important to be concerned and it's important to be aware of the available uh, information of the potential implications of these uh, facts. But so far we just don't have those, you know, necessary, uh, necessary evidence in order to claim these kind of things. That's how I would frame this. Thank you. And so in the, with all of this in mind, how do you feel? What? Do you what are, what are you um, worried about? What are you worried about as a specialist on Russia, as a specialist on Kremlin, watching Kremlin getting involved in American politics? What are you what uh, on what should anybody be worried about knowing as much as you do? First of all, Russia has been identified as a major uh, cybersecurity threat uh, by the internal, by the USA um, uh, analysts already, as, at least in February this year. The cyber attacks by Russia has been on the rise recently, and they have to do with the so-called continued hybrid war of the so-called active measures of Russia that uh, have been on the rise in the last um, about seven years. Uh, in general, we know that Russia does not the West uh, as uh, partners anymore and believes that any kind of uh, uh, damage that it can incur on the Western countries and the United States primarily is beneficial for Russia's geopolitical interests, which it also usually um, identifies as survival of the current regime and Vladimir Putin specifically in power, the current leadership of Russia in power. So from this perspective, the recent attacks uh, against uh, the DNC and, by the way, Hillary Clinton also, announced, Hillary Clinton campaign also recently announced that the similar attacks have been going on against uh, its own uh, website. It's nothing new, but it's nonetheless dangerous uh, phenomenon that that basically reveals that the U.S. security services have not uh, done, have not basically protected, have not understood probably the extent of this threat well enough. Uh, it also has become known recently that similar attacks have been um, implemented by Russia in 2008 and 2012 as well. But only on, in these particular elections, to my knowledge, uh, it has been decided by uh, the Russian side to expose this information because apparently they're really, really interested in supporting uh, Donald Trump as a candidate. Well, if you look at this whole situation from the Russian perspective, you, you kind of realize that Trump is somebody the Kremlin could only wish for. He's really ideal in the sense that he achieves both goals. Um, first, it is really damaging for this political system in the United States to have such a dividing candidate and uh, with these policies um, that are not even kind of, they can't even called. Then they cannot even be labeled as policies at this point. But these kind of statements, statements that he's making, they're clearly um, destructive for the uh, U.S. political culture. Uh, on the first hand, and on the second, uh, on the other hand, um, uh, of course, uh, the the rhetoric of Donald Trump is very beneficial for Russia. So what we see is basically, on one hand, nothing new. It's continued Russia's hybrid war. Russia's hybrid measures against the West. Uh, the Soviet Union used to do the same. This is uh, the good old Russian practices. Uh, 
of the 20th century, uh, just kind of modified because nowadays we have internet and we didn't used to do, uh, didn't used to have it before. Uh, but um, it's uh, the impact of these uh, of the deleterious of the deleterious impact of these measures, unfortunately, has been increasing recently. And it's important that the U.S. Uh, national security realizes the threats that uh, current activity of Russia represents and start also actively uh, counter those measures by the Russian side. Maria, thank you so much for being a guest on our program once again. Thank you very much, Yuri. You're listening to 91.7 FM, WSUW, in Whitewater, Wisconsin. You're listening to Rashkin Report.